Well, good morning, Cornerstone. If you want to grab a Bible, then go ahead and point your Bible to the book of John, the Gospel of John. We'll be in chapter 10 this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible with you to church today, then there's one provided for you in the pew ahead of you. We'll be on page 896 of the pew Bible. We're continuing along in our series, He Is, I Am, where we are looking at the seven times in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am, and follows that up by some metaphor of a kind. And uh, in chapter 6, we learned a couple of weeks ago that Jesus calls himself the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Then in chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. And here in chapter 10, we'll be here for two weeks. Jesus gives us two more I am statements. The first, of course, is I am the door which we will work on this morning. Next week, I am the Good Shepherd, and so we'll look at that, Lord willing, next week. And uh, there will be some overlap in these metaphors that I am the door, I am the Good Shepherd. So um, just a disclaimer, I guess, to English majors, it seems like Jesus may use a mixed metaphor, which is a no-no. So If you are like me and you're a bit of a grammar police and you insist on grammar precision, then uh, you're just going to have to get over the fact that the Lord of the universe uses mixed metaphors, okay? And you're going to have to come to grips with that. Um, And uh, I will hopefully explain some of that a little bit later in the service. So John chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, and we will work down to verse 10, and then I will pray and we'll get started. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep Hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved And will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, it is only by your grace. that we may be able to comprehend this metaphor. And so we ask for that grace 
Would you send your Holy Spirit to illuminate your word and allow us to see what our Lord means when he says, I am the door. Keep us from the misunderstandings that are common with this passage and keep us from the misunderstandings and the blindness that we see in the Pharisees. May we never be like them. May we never have their response and call you insane. Cure us, Lord Jesus, of this blindness. I ask you to do this for your name's sake. Amen. So first thing. This is 21st century America. We get our meat wrapped in cellophane from climate-controlled concrete boxes. And we fly through the air in giant metal tubes. And we buy sandwiches for $2 that has meat that comes in the shape of flattened circles. And so, I'm going ahead and, and I'm going to assume that not very many of us are well acquainted with first century sheep herding or of sheep husbandry whatsoever. So a little bit of background, I think, might be necessary in order for us to understand what Jesus means in John 10 by, I am the shepherd and I am the door. Much of the imagery, I'm afraid, is lost on us. I don't know much about sheep. I don't know anything about shepherding sheep. What I know, I've gleaned from research of others. The best I know about sheep is that lamb is delicious, and that's about where it ends. Uh, Euros are some of my favorite food, and that's about as much as I know of sheep. So we do need to do a bit of, of background here. In first century Middle Eastern shepherding, I've learned, It was a common occupation in those days to be a shepherd. Shepherds watched over flocks while they grazed. It was their job to lead the sheep out to pasture, to protect the sheep from danger, to ensure the sheep stayed healthy. Shepherding was the job of a common person. On the ladder of social standing, they were towards the bottom rung. And so that's what shepherding was. What was, what is a sheep fold? Jesus mentions it in verse 1. What is a sheep fold? Here's something I learned this week. In the first century, large community sheep pens were built from stone to keep the sheep safe at nighttime. After a day of grazing, the shepherd would lead his sheep to this community flock, this, this community pen where the whole flo- all the flocks would come together at night in this place called the sheep fold. And he would stand next to the narrow opening you can see in the picture there. And that's why he had that little crooked staff because they, they would enter the narrow opening one by one and he would hold them back with his staff to ensure they didn't get by him too quickly because part of the process of bringing them into the sheepfold was to inspect every sheep. He would look it over and make sure that it was not, it had, didn't have any sores on it or something else. And he would let it go one by one into the sheepfold. 
And the sheep would spend the night in the sheepfold with all the other flocks, while another shepherd, a hired hand or just an under shepherd, watched over those sheep at nighttime. And then in the morning, the shepherd would come back to the sheepfold and he would go to this under shepherd, this gatekeeper, as it were, and he would call out to his sheep. And even though there were many, many sheep that didn't belong to him, the sheep that did belong to him recognized his voice and they would, they would separate from the rest of the flock and they would come to him and he would lead them out one by one with his crooked staff where he would hold them up and inspect them and make sure that they were okay. Back then, and even now in the Middle East, shepherds didn't drive flocks of sheep like we do with dogs. They led them. They would either lead them with a, with a call of some kind or with just by singing was, com- was common. They would just talk at regular increments. And their sheep, sheep don't have good eyesight, but they have great hearing. And they would follow one another. And as long as they could hear their shepherd, they knew that they were going to be safe. They would not go walking off of a cliff or into danger. So with that image securely locked in your mind, now we turn back to the words of Jesus and we read the passage again. He says this, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters the door enters by the door, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. So so we see three people in Jesus' metaphor. One, a man who is a thief and a robber in verse 1. The other man we see is the shepherd in verse 2. And the other is the gatekeeper in verse 3. Who they are becomes clear later in the passage, but just a spoiler alert, the shepherd is Jesus and the sheep are us. That's pretty clear in this passage. The other two are a little less obvious. So let's look at verse one and the first man mentioned, the thief, the robber of verse one. Here is what we know about that person. He does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but he climbs in another way. He climbs in another way. You saw the picture up there. He probably climbed over the the stone fence. He didn't come in by the door. He climbed in over the stone fence. He's not thinking about leading the sheepfold out to the sheep out to good pasture. He's, he's, not wanting to inspect them for health or to lead them to good food. He's there to harm them. In fact, verse 10 says that person, he's there to steal from them, to kill them, and to destroy them. So who is this thief, robber? If Jesus is the shepherd, who is the thief and robber? Is it the devil Is it a false prophet? Well, as my my friend Pastor Harry Peterson is fond of saying, don't look just at the text, look at the context. So that's what we have to do in John chapter 10. So if you still have your Bible open to John 10, 
We'll be in verse, we'll be at the, we'll be in chapter 9 for a moment. Let me just bring you up to speed. If you remember from last week, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And when he said this, the implications of this were, of course, understood by the religious leaders of the day. And they flipped. What do you mean you're the light of the world? Are you insane? What authority do you have to claim to be the light of the world? And so then there's this big, long argument about who Jesus is, what authority he has to make such a wild claim. It goes until the end of chapter 8, and the Pharisees at that point, the religious leaders of Judaism in that day, they're so upset with Jesus' claims about who he is, they pick up rocks in order to stone him and kill him. It's how upset they were about his self-claims. And it wasn't Jesus' time to die yet, and so Jesus escapes their attack. And then chapter 9 comes along, and something very interesting happens in the beginning of chapter 9. Jesus comes across a man who was a fully grown man, but he was born blind. His entire life was lived in darkness, and it was as if Jesus was proving I am the light of the world that he comes to a blind man and he takes the light of the world, gives light to the world of the blind man and makes him see for the first time. It's a beautiful miracle. Well, this miracle happens in chapter nine. And again, the Pharisees, they flip again. And so they call this blind, ex-blind man in for questioning. They even call his parents in for questioning. And they say, this man could not have healed you. They said, who healed you? And he says, well, this, this guy, I'm not sure who he is, Jesus or something. And they said, this man could not have healed you. He's a sinner. I love what he says. The blind man speaking to the religious leaders, those who knew the Bible the best. And he says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But what I do know, once I was blind and now I see. And now the religious leaders, when they hear this, which, by the way, the religious leaders were God-appointed men who were to study the scriptures, to shepherd God's people, to anticipate the coming of the Messiah. Those who were supposed to shepherd God's people look at this ex-blind man and they cast him out. If you still have your Bible open, look at the end of chapter 9. Verse 35 and following. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And this man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see. And those who may become blind And those who see, rather, may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard him 
And they said to Jesus, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, We see your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you. Again, I'm going to take issue with the people who made the chapter divisions in the Bible because they have unnecessarily separated this passage from what came before it. The chapter divisions in the Bible were not inspired by God, the Holy Spirit. They were inspired by some guy who was not too good at his job sometimes. Because what has happened now is we've taken John 10 and we've separated it from John 9. And so when Jesus says there are thieves and robbers, he's still speaking to the Pharisees. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. He's talking to the Pharisees. So, who do you think Jesus calls thieves and robbers? The ones who climbed over the fence, who didn't go through the door by the gatekeeper, are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. And another place, Jesus calls, he rebukes these men because he says, you tie down heavy burdens on the backs of people and you're so self-righteous and you're so self-absorbed that you won't even lift a finger to help them. These men didn't come to give God's people life. They came to take life. to kill kill and destroy. Jesus sometimes goes out of his way to avoid offending the crowd, but then will also go out of his way to offend the religious leaders. Because these, as I said, were people that God appointed to lead God's people, to explain the Bible, to do the hard work of researching the prophecies about the Messiah, to get God's people ready to prepare their hearts to anticipate the coming of God's Messiah. And here God's Messiah came and they saw him. And instead of falling at his feet and worshiping him, they called him sinner. They were not leading Israel to Jesus. They were leading Israel away from Jesus. The source of eternal life stood in their midst and they pushed God's people away from him. Who do you think is a thief and a robber? Verse 2 and 3, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. I think the gatekeeper is God. And Jesus is calling himself the shepherd of the sheep who enters by the door. He comes in through the door with the blessing of the gatekeeper. Let's keep reading the rest of verse 3. 
The sheep hear his voice. And he calls out to his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he had brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Remember the picture? Can you see it? Sheep following their shepherd. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they don't know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, that's the Pharisees, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. The shepherd comes in by the door, has the blessing of the gatekeeper, and stands at the door and calls to his sheep. Don't you just love that Jesus says, I call them by name. The sheep know the voice of their shepherd, and they respond to his call when they hear their name. I wonder, have you heard him call your name? Jamie, come out. Matt, come out. Brooke, come out. Sarah, come out. Peter, come out. Joe, come out. And he leads them to pasture. Have you responded to that call? Have you heard your master's beckon call? Heeded? And come out to be inspected and find pasture. I hope you have. Those who are his sheep, they recognize his voice. The shepherd has been with his sheep since they were born. They know what he sounds like. They've heard him talk, they've heard him sing, they know his intonation. You've probably heard his laugh. Maybe they've heard him cry when a lamb was stillborn. They've heard his angry tones when predators come and he chases them away. And so they know that voice and they follow him out. Cornerstone, do you know that voice? Could you pick it out of a crowd? Have you spent time with the Lord Jesus in his word and learned what he sounds like? Have you memorized scripture? Allowing just the reverberations of his voice nestle in your soul? Such that when you hear another voice, you say, stranger. It's not my master. I know what he sounds like. Those of you who are moms. You have this unique ability, don't you? Of discerning cries. There's something like 40 kids on that side of the church right now. And if one of them cries, the, the associated mom will know, that's mine. I know that cry. In fact, you don't just know your kid's cry. You know what kind of cry that kid's cry is. Whether it's a I didn't get my way kind of cry or I'm hurt mama cry. You can tell different cries. 
God gave you that ability and you honed that ability by spending time with your kids, by hearing them cry so much. And God has given you the same sort of ears for his voice. And there is only one way that you're going to hone an ear for his voice. It's by reading his voice over and over and over again until his intonations and his reverberations find that settled place in your heart and you can discern it. There are many voices, Cornerstone, And it is the task and responsibility and challenge of every follower of Jesus to respond to the master's call rather than that of a stranger. Verse 5 says, a stranger they will not follow. The strangers are thieves. They're robbers. And they're speaking as much as the master is speaking. They may even use the same words. They may preach from the same Bible. The only way you're going to know the difference is by embedding the true voice in your heart, by spending time in the Word. And so... I'm afraid if you're not spending time in the Bible, memorizing Scripture, you cannot have a right sense of His voice. And you'll likely end up following the voice of a stranger who will not lead you to good pasture, but somewhere else. If we are not regularly digesting large portions of the Bible, I'm afraid... Voices that you hear on TBN and Facebook clips and everywhere else you come across voices. They'll sound like Jesus. And unless you know what he really sounds like, you'll be led astray. God gave you a head and God gave you a heart. If all we have are our hearts, just emotions... No head knowledge, meaning no theology. Then our hearts will be drawn to a voice because it feels right. And then our head is of no use. So we need theology. We need to be in the Bible. We need to read and memorize and get it into our souls. Because then when we hear a voice that... Sounds like something Jesus would say. We'll be able to discern there's something off. It's just, it's not, the balance is off. The focus is off. There's something not right. Like when you, when meat is almost to go bad, it gives you that little tingle or that little, that little musty smell. There's something not right. You may not be able to say, according to this verse, what that he or she just said, that's wrong. 
You may not be able to have that clear of understanding, but you will know there's something not right. The balance is off. Verse 6, the figure of speech that Jesus used, they didn't understand. They didn't get it. John outs the Pharisees. They just didn't recognize the shepherd's voice. And so then Jesus uses, he, gets, he makes himself even more clear. Verse 7. So <clears throat> Jesus said again, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and he'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep, the true sheep, didn't follow the thieves and robbers. Jesus is referring to a people, the thieves and robbers who came before him, uh, people that theologian D.A. Carson calls messianic pretenders. They came before Jesus, and they led Israel to some kind of revolt against Rome. They, they were usually political in nature. They gathered a bunch of people around them. They said, I am the coming one. I'm the prophet after Moses. I'm the son of David. And they led God's people into war against Rome, and people died for following that voice. Those were thieves and robbers. They didn't bring life to God's people. They took life. They fleeced the flock for their own gain. Many thieves... Many robbers have come after Jesus as well. But the true sheep do not listen to them. We just need to understand something. The size of the following of a man's ministry is no indicator of that man's orthodoxy. Or legitimacy. A man may have a large ministry, large church, speak at large conferences, have a whole entire aisle dedicated to him at the Christian bookstore, and he may be legit, but he may not be. He might be a thief and a robber. How do we know? Does he sound like Jesus? Does he enter by the door? Those are only questions that you can answer if you know what Jesus sounds like and what Jesus is like, which means you're going to need to read your Bible. Have I said that before? That you're going to need to read your Bible? Okay, I think I have said that already. Verse 9. I am the door, Jesus says. Here, Jesus begins to seemingly mix metaphors. He says, I am the shepherd. I am the door. I'm both. And so that like sixth grade English teacher voice in the back of your head, you're going to tell it, tell it to quiet down for a few minutes because the Lord of the universe is speaking. We're going to let him use mixed metaphors if he chooses. It might not be as mixed 
as it seems. I was researching this week and I found something very interesting. In some parts of Palestine, there was not a gate or a door to that sheepfold. It's just a narrow opening where the, the, the rock fence would just end. It was just a narrow opening. And so when the shepherd at night had to watch over their flocks, he would sometimes just sit across the opening at nighttime. And he would keep the sheep in. He would keep the predators out. He became the door. He was the shepherd. He was the door. He's the shepherd door. So maybe it wasn't a mixed metaphor. Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, he'll be saved. And he'll go in and out and find pasture. Only two ways out of this sheepfold. Either someone hops the fence, kills you, and drags you out, or you come out through the door. And there's only one door, friends, and that door is a man. He lived 2,000 years ago, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there is no name under heaven given to men by which men can be saved. There is only one door. All other doors are not real doors. They lead to destruction. There is no pasture in following anyone else. So Jesus says, if you enter by me, anyone, anyone who enters by me will be saved. So now he gets theological, doesn't he? You'll be saved. Safe from what, Jesus? At the very least, safe from thieves and robbers. At the very least, safe from Phariseeism, which is a fancy way of saying religion. Saved from religion. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. There are many voices that promise pasture. All but one are thieves. The worst thief of all is religion. Religion steals and kills and destroys. Religion promises life. It says if you do this well enough, don't do that too many times, then God got your back. Work hard according to biblical principles. And God will bless you or accept you. It's this attitude that if you can offer certain things like moral goodness and avoidance of sin and faithfulness in Bible study, faithfulness in church attendance, and then that will somehow contribute to God's goodwill toward you. And you will find pasture and you will find peace 
and your soul will be satisfied. Religion is a man-made attempt to force God's hand to give us what we think we deserve for our good deeds. It seeks God's favor through performance. It seeks to cause him to recognize us by our good works. At its core, religion believes that God is not really good. He doesn't really have my joy in mind. I got to force his hand with good deeds. But religion is a thief. It forces us to exert tremendous effort. Climb the hill and find the pasture at the top of the hill. There'll be rest there. Tremendous energy is exerted and you reach the top of the hill and you find no pasture and you find no rest. There's always another hill to climb. And this was the problem with the Pharisees. They followed these stringent lists of what to do and what not to do to show that they were good people and that they were right with God and they were making themselves their own saviors. And look what it did. Look what religion did to the Pharisees. They meet a brother who was born blind and now he can see and rather than rejoicing with their brother, they looked down. They cast him out. Worse than that, even. Self-made righteousness causes us to see the only perfect man who ever lived and call him a sinner. That's what religion does. It causes us to look at others with disdain. Your problems are because you don't have enough good deeds. You're not trying hard enough. That's your problem. Rather than showing grace, weeping with those who weep, allowing your heart to be broken looking on the pitiful crowd like Jesus did and have compassion instead of contempt. Religion robs us of being gracious. It produces Pharisees that hop the fence and kill the sheep. And that's not why Jesus came. Verse 10 says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus does not take life. He gives life and he gives it freely. And that's what religion hates. That's what legalism hates. Hates Jesus. Because Jesus gave his life to give life to others. 
without strings. Jesus gives life to everyone with no cost to anyone but himself. Religion hates grace like that. You can't control that. It hates that grace is free. Religion wants there to be a cost. Give me something I can pay for. I can manage it. I can control it. Limit it. But that's not the gospel. Grace is not measurable. The gospel is that Jesus paid the cost himself. There's nothing left for us to pay. Religion and moralism want a God who is appeased by good works. What they don't understand, the Pharisees, moralists, religious types, legalists. What they don't understand is that good good works are never good enough. God is worthy of and deserving of and demanding of works that are far greater than we are capable of doing. Even if our works are good, they're never good enough. And God knows this. And so God sent His Son. God knows that everyone in this room is not capable of doing works that are good enough to appease the wrath of God over our sins. Everyone in this room is capable of some good. But no one in this room is capable of good enough. And so that's why God sent his son to live perfectly for us. Jesus did all the good works that would earn eternal life and appease the wrath of God. And his death was not to make up the difference between good and good enough. He died to erase the difference. He is good enough. His life was good enough. He died to give us those good enough good works to bring us to heaven. And bring us to abundant life. And so when you stand before God at the end of your life, if you are in Christ, he will look at your good deeds and say, not enough. And you'll say, I know. His are. And so then you can hear your master look at your life you're not good enough life and say, well done, 
good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So we don't have to twist God's arm with our performance to earn green pastures. These pastured hills of the abundant life of joy and peace and happiness, they're free. They're freely given to anyone who would enter by the door. The only thing that's left for anyone in this room is to look at your Savior and say, I'm not good enough. Forgive me for not being good enough. I know you're good enough. I'll take that. To the cross, I cling. All you need to do is enter by the door. Put your faith in Jesus and trust on His good enough to make up, erase the difference and give you eternal life. Enter by the door. Stand to our feet. We're going to sing another song, and while we do that, I want to give you the opportunity to do a couple of things. I'm going to read one of these verses again, and while we're singing, I'll give you the opportunity to think about something. Either you've already entered by the door, you're saved by grace through faith, eternally ready for those green pastures of abundant life. You're still at this place where you're trying to earn God's favor. You're still trying to twist his arm with your good deeds. So I want to give you the opportunity this morning just to know, to acknowledge, he is good enough. I don't have to twist his arm. To repent of any attempt to earn God's favor, to earn God's grace. The other thing for you to consider, maybe you've never entered by the door Maybe when the Lord speaks, you don't, you, don't, you don't hear it. You don't understand. It's not a voice you know. And so I would just invite you to put your trust and depend on Him. Because everyone knows your good deeds, they're good. Not good enough. Only Jesus is good enough. As we sing... The Lord's table is open. You're welcome to participate in communion. If you are a Christian and good standing with your home church, you're welcome to join us at the table. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. The sheep know the master's voice. And I pray as you call out to us this morning, we respond. As we pass through that narrow gate and you put your crooked staff around our neck and you do your inspection this morning. Holy Spirit, show us our faults. Show us where we're attempting to earn your favor. Forgive us. 
for trying to pay for what is free. And if there are those who are here who have never heard your voice, would you give them ears? Allow them to hear and to come to your call and go out to good pastures. Would you do this for your namesake?